following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. For our pre-sermon time of prayer this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. I actually want to play a video clip for you. And in the video, you will see and hear a musical performance that I find quite stirring. I'm not going to say much about it right now because I think it will speak for itself for the most part. So to set it up, uh, rather than talking about what's coming, I will suggest that you treat this as a meditative prayer. I'd like you to be still and comfortable. I'd like you to remember to breathe, as Autumn so often reminds us. Assume a posture of openness and listening and ask God to bathe you in his light and in his love. And in the warmth of God's light and love, receive whatever he may have for you in this moment. And then when the video ends, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Okay?
So let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Josiah, did you hear Josiah? He said, sorry, I got the pinwheel. <laughs> the spinning beach ball of death strikes again. <clears throat> um, once again, it's totally fine. It might even be an object lesson. One of the fun things for me as we've gone back through our foundational values these past couple of months uh, has been seeing how the values overlap and interact. Just last week, we looked at a passage that describes the design and construction of the tabernacle. If you were here last week, you remember I read little bits of that. Um, I didn't read the, the end of that story. It's actually the very end of the book of Exodus. The last thing that happens after the tabernacle has been created is... Um, Uh, In chapter 4, you see this, Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So right there in that story, you see a connection between the beauty that they created in their worship space and awe, reverent mystery, sovereign power of God. So there's a connection between beauty and awe. I think a lot of us see this in nature as well, don't we? You go to Letchworth at this time of year especially, and you are, it's, it's awe-inspiring because it's beautiful. And a few weeks before that, we were talking about justice, and we landed on that inspiring and somewhat unsettling, maybe terrifying prophecy. God's house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. A little unsettling because we don't necessarily like all peoples. (laughs) We don't get to exclude anyone in our community. So there's a connection between justice and community that I've seen. These connections between the values are exciting and inspiring to me, and um, uh, they've made me realize that um, maybe, I don't want to use the overused pastor cliche, but maybe God knew what he was doing (laughs) When he placed these values on our heart a decade ago when we started Artisan Church, there's a richness, there's a a tapestry, (laughs) there's a big picture that I'm only seeing certain parts of even 10 years later. And that's been a lot of fun. But the other thing that I have realized, especially in the last couple weeks uh, as I've been preparing to talk about beauty, which is the value that we're working on last week, this week, and next week, that there are also some tensions between some of our values. If you were here last week, we did a little Q&A after a brief kind of mini-sermon, and some of those tensions came up in that conversation, in that Q&A, didn't they? So, for example, there's uh, some tension, perhaps, between beauty and justice. Maybe especially around the question of, of 
where we spend our time and money. Is the tabernacle temple model of the Old Testament where the people spend a fortune making the place beautiful? Is that appropriate for us today? Or to put it more starkly, why do we value beauty when children are going hungry and remaining uneducated in our city? And there might be a tension between beauty and community. Is this value of beauty only attainable by accomplished artists, musicians, craftspeople? Why would we value beauty if not everybody is capable of making beautiful things? And the tensions become more pronounced if you're not familiar with how we use the term beauty. And that's one of the things I realized is that the word itself might be an obstacle. Because if we use a human definition of beauty, it becomes a very misleading word. The human definition of beauty relies on a superficial, subjective standard. I'm not so much bothered by subjectivity. The superficiality is a problem. The human definition of beauty uh, has a preference for that which is pleasant over that which is true, which is why we get things like precious moments. Right? That's Christian art. (laughs) That's a low blow. Somebody has a precious moments Bible at home. (laughs) It's my sister. She doesn't listen to the podcast. (laughs) The human definition of beauty is concerned with with a judgment that, that results in a hierarchy, right? Swipe right for beautiful, swipe left to get rid of it. I see you Tinder people out there. And given that type of definition of the term beauty, we might ask the question, why do we value beauty when we read in the Bible that God looks on the heart, not the outward appearance? See, whether you're judging a person's appearance or the relative quality of the things they make, if you assume a human definition of beauty, you're still applying that superficial, subjective standard. So a human definition of beauty will lead us astray, and it will actually add to the tensions that are already there. And you know, tension can be good. A lot of mechanical things require tension to work properly, don't they? But if the tension gets too much, it breaks, and then everything falls apart. And if, if, we, if we have in our heads this human definition of beauty, we will continually be asking ourselves, why do we value beauty at all? And so to answer the question for you, why do we value beauty at all? What we need, first and foremost, I think, is a theological definition of beauty. And here's how we can make a theological definition of beauty. To me, it comes down to creation. I have a verse I want to show you on the screen. It's a couple verses, actually, from Genesis chapter 1. 
And um, <coughs> I'll read it to you as well here, because I don't think I can. Oh, yeah, I can see it from there. This is the first verse of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we see something immediately about the character and nature of God. The first thing we see about God is that he makes things. One of the things he makes is us. We get to verse 27. God created humankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. So each one of us is uh, created... In the image of God, this is, theologians have a Latin, the Latin term for this is imago dei. I love that phrase. And being made imago dei in the image of God, who is first revealed to us in Scripture as what? As a maker, a creator, means that we are also makers and creators. And so we get to this definition of beauty, which is the statement that we have on our About Us page and plastered all around the building, this is what we say about beauty. We are inspired by the breathtaking artistry of our Creator and seek to reflect that beauty in all we do as we co-create with Him. So we are creators ourselves. Some of you are self defined artists or engineers or craftspeople. Some of you are not. That is irrelevant. (laughs) It is innate to who God made us that each one of us has the capacity and propensity and ability to make something and to make something beautiful. Now, uh, Keep in mind that the standard for beauty that we have to meet is that which God has made. Letchworth Gorge. Right? Maybe he used a glacier, I don't know. Actually, I think he did. Um, <laughs> we do know that. That's sort of the point. Um, <clears throat> right, so you're never going to make something as beautiful as God, so get over yourself and stop comparing the things you make to the the other garbage that everybody else makes from a four-year-old in pre-K coloring on a paper outside the lines all the way up to Rembrandt. (laughs) It's all garbage when you have the standard of God's creation. And and that's true of, of every way, by the way, in which we bear the image of God. It's not just about this creativity stuff. It all (laughs) falls so short. It's garbage. So our theological definition of beauty is not about meeting a superficial standard. It is about nothing less than co-creation with the God who made the universe. So if we go back to the question, why do we value beauty at all? The answer is because it is a way of extending God's grace to each other and to our community. I just said, that valuing beauty is a way of extending God's grace to each other and to our community. Here's what I mean. If beauty works to accomplish the will of God and to extend His grace into our lives, and I think that it does, then we ought to value it and participate in it. So here are some specific reasons why we value beauty as a church. We value beauty... 
Because beauty gives us a chance to express what words cannot. How many people in the room are fluent in Icelandic? Which is the language that that uh, song was written in that I played for you before the sermon. If you're listening to the podcast that's not in there, just go do a Google search for Icelandic choir in a train station. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be the only result. <laughs> <laughs> but the internet is a big place, so I can't make any promises. You, no, nobody in the room knows what any of the words in that text were, right? Raise your hand if you know what that said. Well, it, it's in Icelandic. The text is about a thousand years old. It is a hymn. But if you know the history of Iceland, about a thousand years ago, uh, is it a hymn to Jesus or is it a hymn to the Norse gods? It depends on how exact that number 1,000 years ago is. I've seen the translation. Um, I have an opinion about which one it is. I'm not going to tell you. Did that stir your soul at all? Hearing that hymn, especially sung in a dingy old train station? The, talk about tension. <laughs> Those words could have been anything. Yet they stirred your soul despite not having a very clear message that you could understand. As it says in Romans 8, 26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. Does anybody feel that way sometimes? I don't know how to pray. But the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. See, God makes it possible for us to pray without words. Beauty can help us accomplish that. And so as a church, it follows. We value beauty. We value beauty, secondly, because beauty offers hope in the midst of despair. There's an interesting little story in the Bible where King Saul of Israel is unwell. The story tells us that he's being tormented by an evil spirit. And the cure for his affliction is what? Does anybody know this story? It's music. It's, it's the liar. Not, not the L-I-A-R liar. The L-Y-R-E liar, the better one. <laughs> you don't want that other liar. <laughs> David, who actually would supplant King Saul as the, the monarch of Israel later in an interesting twist, um, is called in out of the, the, the sheep pastures because he's skilled as a musician and he plays the music for King Saul. And whenever he plays the liar in, in King Saul's chamber, the spirit leaves and King Saul is comforted. I think we've all had this kind of experience, haven't we? It might be music for a lot of us. I love music. Music is the way that this most often would happen for me. But it might be uh, visual art, or it might be dance. Uh, whether, it's involved in, whether you're involved in making it or just observing it and consuming it, we can find a comfort in the midst of our despair, just like King Saul did. A comfort that comes from having a transcendent experience. God offers comfort through transcendent experiences sometimes. Beauty can provide transcendent experiences sometimes. So it follows that as a church, we ought to value 
beauty. Because it's a way of extending God's grace to each other and to our community. We value and celebrate beauty because because we have to do it. Beauty should not be reserved for or hoarded by the most privileged people in our society, but it is. And that's not right. If the gifts of God, if the gifts of beauty come from God, and I think that they do, they, they ought to be available to all people. But in our culture, beauty is sometimes only available to those who can afford to pay for it. Don't believe me? Uh, which part of town is Rochester's art museum located in? The one that pays all the taxes. <laughs> Which schools in our city and across the country are the first ones to cut their art and music program because they can't afford to pay their teachers if they don't? So I believe it is our duty as the Christian church, those of us who carry the banner of the kingdom of God, to compensate when we can so that everyone can receive the spiritual depth and healing that can come from the transcendent experience of beauty. And this is why, though there is some tension, beauty is not in competition with justice. It should actually be part of how we can accomplish justice. One way, not the only way. And that's why I'm so proud that our church, under the direction of our awesome social justice team, co-sponsored the latest mural in Rochester's wall therapy series. Did you see this on Facebook or on Instagram anywhere? I think I have a picture on the screen. This is the mural that Sarah Rutherford did up at Need. And uh, we funded some of it. And if you look at what the mural is and if you go and research the meaning of those images and you think about where it's placed in our city... It's pretty poignant. Beauty should not be reserved for or hoarded by the most privileged people in our society. So as the Christian church, it is part of our duty to bring beauty to all the places where it does not exist. And finally this. We emphasize and we value and we celebrate beauty because we can all make beautiful things out of the dust, if you will. I read some of Ephesians chapter 2 at the call to worship this morning. Um, Ephesians 2.10 is a verse that we sometimes say is artisan's life verse. (laughs) We don't really do the life verse thing around here. Some of you might have a verse that's really important to your spiritual life, and um, that's awesome. Artisan has one too. Uh, It's Ephesians 2.10. I'll put this on the screen as well. We are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the NRSV, which is the translation that we most often use at Artisan. It says, we are what he has made us. And once you kind of um, dig a little deeply, that's probably a good way to think of it, but it doesn't actually hit home quite at first with that wording, I don't think. The NIV says, we are his handiwork. The New Living Translation says, we are his masterpiece. The Greek word is poema, 
which eventually will become the English word poem through uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of etymology. Right? And we, don't, we want to be careful not to read back to that too much, the intention of the original author, because after all, it's an English word that has no bearing on the Greek word. Um, we don't have to get into the theory of linguistics or anything. But it is interesting to me that we are identified here in this text in Ephesians as the work of God. We are the beautiful thing that he has made. All of us. The capacity to make and create and to pour forth beauty into our world is in us all. That is not, I don't think, just an opinion. That is, I think, a theological statement. So again, we have to resist the temptation to compare ourselves to others. Right? One of the questions that I got by email this week was, well, there's some amazing artists at Artisan. I'm paraphrasing and embellishing a little bit, but there's some amazing artists at Artisan. If we wanted to put their work on display next week, could everybody's work be on display, or does it have to be good enough? Right? Do we have to um, get all the words sung just right at the end of the hymn for it to be uh, true worship, for it to be a united act of community? Or is sometimes the mess actually the most beautiful part? Remember, if the standard is what God has created, we are all falling so short. We are all scribbling pictures that are going to get hung on the refrigerator and forgotten. <laughs> so we might as well get over ourselves and stop comparing ourselves to the people who have a, like a slightly better fridge scribble. I just made up that term, bridge scribble. I like it. God calls us to create alongside him. Beauty, making things, is one way we can do that. All of us can do it. And so that's why, as a church, it follows. We should value beauty. My hope is that a lot of this will be lived out next week, which is a cliffhanger. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty in our world that we see in your creation, that we see in each other, that we see in the things that, that we paltry humans make and produce. Help us always to see your fingerprints on the things that we make and that are made by others. Help us not to focus so much on judging each other or the works we create, whether it's about physical appearance, utility, spiritual intention, all the other things that we use to judge. Help us to stop and realize that we are makers. We're little makers because we're made in your image and you are the maker of the universe. May we see beauty all around us. May we bring it to all people. May we celebrate it in all lives.
we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, <clears throat> the most beautiful story is the one about Jesus. The sacrifice of Christ, his willingness to submit to violence and death, to respond not with violence of his own, but with love and forgiveness not only for each of us, but for those who were killing him. And one of my favorite things about our faith is that this story is retold using ordinary matter. Right? You can paint a picture using ordinary organic stuff. You can build things, sculpt things, design things out of matter. And you can tell the story of the gospel with something as ordinary as food and drink, bread and wine. And so I invite you to the table of the Lord to retell that beautiful drama, that story of salvation, remembering Christ's broken body as you tear off a piece of the bread, remembering his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins as you dip it in the wine or the juice and then literally consuming that his body and blood as food for your souls all who cling to Jesus for our salvation are welcome at this table you don't need to be a member here you don't need to be part of our denomination or anyone actually you seek Jesus and trust him for your salvation, this table is for you. If you're a visitor or if you're uh, a seeker or if you're questioning and you don't want to participate in communion, that is always okay. I would encourage you to sit and think about what you've heard and what you've experienced and to observe what's happening around you. Um, if you'd like to receive personalized prayer, there'll be a member of the prayer team here under the cross who'd be happy to pray with you. As always, I invite you to respond however the Spirit may be speaking to you. Amen. As a reminder, if you brought kids with you this morning and they're taking part in the kids' stuff that's going on at the other end of the building, um, you should go and retrieve them now. They're welcome to take communion with you as well, or you can go get them right after you take communion if you prefer to take it by yourself. <coughs> For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com. 